And also, if you like blow it up and put it on something big, it's not gonna look right. Okay. <laughs> There we go, Aaron. Uh, so we're back to your N3 talks. You just came back from South by. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, the event, uh, your experience, and it's, I'm imagining it's uh, not your first time. No, it was not. This is my fifth year. No, it's my fifth year and four times in the last five years. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and spreading across more of Austin. Remember when I first came, it was kind of like around the convention center and a couple of hotels, but now it's kind of like spread to the hotels, you know, across the river. Um, sometimes you have to take Ubers to get to the events. So it's good that it's getting bigger, but it makes it a lot harder to find, um, to make the decision between what you want to go to because there's so many things going on there. So uh, you were, um, what kind of uh, panels, workshops, seminars, which events did you participate in? If you can give us the top five of the tech uh, so the top five, well, the one that was the most interesting was the one I kind of snuck into the last day, which was about um, VR and television and kind of some of the challenges around it that I, I never really considered. Um, so they had some people there from the Television Production Association or, or something like that. Um, and one of the points that this individual was making was just how much money it cost to get together all of the assets if you were going to make like a tv show that was like fully immersive in vr um, he was saying the challenge is that the initial upfront cost to get all the assets makes it kind of cost prohibitive at this point but once you got all those upfront costs um you you could be able to kind of do some interesting things and then a woman got up and asked because they spent a lot of time talking about um, engagement and usability and um, the woman who was a moderate, moderator made the point that, you know, she tried it out once and, you know, the first thing was, you know, it's going to mess up my hair putting all this stuff on, right? Then the next thing was just the learning curve about figuring out how do I use the switches and how do I move my arms? And, you know, they, they, they circled around the whole point of, you know, everyone's waiting for the big breakout thing in AR and VR, but until you kind of address this usability issue, you're, it's going to be really challenging to get the adoption. And then at the end, the guy made what I thought was the most relevant point, which he said, you know, the best um, user interface is voice. And that you will get that level of adoption once you figure out how to effectively use voice to allow people to kind of come into these immersive environments. Um, so that was obvious but profound. <laughs> and then the other, the other point that was made, because um, people kept harping on, you know, When's it going to break through? When's it going to break through? And the, the, the guy who was from the television kind of organization, he said, when there's enough compelling content. He said, it's no different than any other platform. People come when there's compelling content. And until you have compelling content, it's just not going to get there. So that was, it was kind of different from my primary objective, but I just thought it'd be interesting to kind of go there. Um, the other one I went to, uh, which was interesting, was a panel that I wanted to go see because Dr. Frederick was on a panel. <laughs> and so I wanted to go sit in the back and really kind of observe that panel. And it was around the HBCU caucus and they were just talking about a lot of challenges that HBCUs have. And um, Dr. Frederick was uh, pretty compelling because he was just dropping a lot of data, um, which were things that I don't know if a lot of people are aware of them. So, for example, one point he made was that 
50% of all the dentists in the United States, black dentists, African-American dentists come out of Howard University, right? So he was using that as an example to say, if HBCUs are struggling, and if 50% of all the dentists are coming out of an HBCU, what happens if the HBCU can't sustain it anymore, right? So then you're in a society where like half the dentists, where are they going now? Where are they going to get their degree, right? Um, another interesting point he made, which I wasn't aware of, was that you can't use Pell Grants during the summer. So students who are just trying to get through and kind of get their degree as quickly as they possibly can, they can't apply their Pell Grants during summer to kind of take courses. Um, and just, just the data, another thing he said was there's actually more African-American, I, I believe this is the quote he said, that there's actually more African-Americans in Hispanic-serving institutes than there are in HBCUs. And so the, what he was trying to say there was that, yes, you know, as, a, as the president of HBCU, it's important to him that, you know, they are strong and successful and grow, but that we kind of need to look beyond this kind of this narrow vision of focusing on HBCUs to kind of address the diversity in all, the, all of these STEM fields. Um, so that was interesting, getting data to kind of support things that you kind of know anecdotally. It's always nice to get, get some data around that. Um, and last event, so you told us about two events. How about give us a one more? One more event. Um, it was an event that was uh, handled by Dell Gines from Federal Reserve in Kansas City. I was invited to an event with him about a year ago where he was talking about specifically the wealth gap in black communities and what can you do to support ecosystem builders to kind of have a have a real impact. Interesting things that he said, which kind of made me kind of rethink or refactor my thoughts around ecosystem building was that we need to fund the ecosystem catalysts, right? And so he said that's different than funding um, the companies that come out of the ecosystem. This, this concept that he had of, of an ecosystem catalyst is an individual or an organization or something that's helping to create the ecosystem, which then provides the, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for, kind of provides the space or the area for these diverse entrepreneurs to now come into and grow. Right. And so what people are doing, they're saying, well, fuck, give me some diverse entrepreneurs and I'll fund them. But what he's saying is you need to kind of, if I use like a scientific experience, you need to create the Petri dish. Right. You need to fund the creation of the Petri dish so that these entrepreneurs can come in and grow, which I thought was interesting. And he and he brought it back to another term, which I put in my notes. I think it's called business dynamism, dynamism, dynamism. Dynamism. But the, the basic point he was making was that um, we need to look at the cycle of businesses, right? So the business starts, the business grows, the business fails or is successful and scales. And then like how long is that cycle of it going round and round and round? Because you need to create um, this environment where these businesses can grow and fail and start again as another business or grow and scale. And if there isn't that cycle, if it doesn't exist, we're not going to kind of get the growth that we want to get. Um, and then the other point that uh, that was made, the president or the CEO of Living Cities, which um, if I explain it correctly, I believe Living Cities is an organization that 
for lack of a better word, helps these other billion dollar companies figure out how to effectively distribute money through nonprofits. Um, and the kind of shocking part in the end was at the end during Q&A, uh, this black guy stood up and said, you know, to him directly, um, I believe this is a, he's a white male, um, said, you know, what do you think is going to change this to actually have an impact for us? And he said, when there's more people that look like you that have the money. I mean, he was, it, it was, it was refreshing that he was honest, <laughs> right? But it's also kind of um, unsettling almost because, I mean, he said it, he said it took us 400 years to get here. Right? It's going to take us a while to kind of get out of here. Um, and so if it's really, you know, things will change when there's more black and brown people that have access to money, um, it, it brings us back around to, well, what are we going to do to get this money to kind of help make these changes? So um, those were kind of three very interesting things uh, that were takeaways from South by. So you were also um, an ambassador for WeDC, so you represented uh, South by. <laughs> yes. Um, and so can you give us a little bit more, uh, just briefly in terms of what your role and responsibilities were during the, uh, the week? So as, as a WeDC ambassador, you're really there to kind of support the tech creative ecosystem here in Washington, D.C. You go to the events, you hang around the VDC house, and you, you're you really just there to meet people, talk to them about your experience and the benefits that you found in being in a D.C. tech ecosystem. Um, I met some interesting folks when I was there. Um, a, lot of, a lot of individuals have heard about IN3, and so you know, they were they were directed to me to kind of chat about it. I met with an interesting fellow from Blue Cross, I believe, based up in Baltimore, and they're working on some uh, some innovation projects right now. Right now, they currently have an internal innovation lab, and they're trying to figure out um, what more they can do kind of externally, um, specifically down here in D.C. And so we met, we, we had a coffee and kind of chatted. Uh, you know, from, from him, I, I well, a lot of people latch onto the name incubator with the uh, IN3, and I tell them frankly that incubators is kind of, I kind of, it's kind of there more as a marketing term than anything else. Um, I've I've played around with this at times by saying, well, we're we're incubating inclusive innovation and a bunch of other things, but at the end of the day, um, if I look at kind of what the kind of business term is of incubator or how people define it. Like so when most people approach me, they assume that we're a place that people apply, you get in, you go through some sort of you know training or programming, and then you leave. And you know, I made it clear to him that that's not really what we do. That we're really, you know, like going back to this old Petri this analogy, um, we're really trying to cultivate entrepreneurs at the very earliest stages. Most incubators and accelerators are making some base level assumption of where the entrepreneur is already. And what we're saying is that there's a whole group of entrepreneurs or potential entrepreneurs um, that need to be, you know, provided support and services to kind of either help them get to that point or for them to realize they're not ready for that point. Um, I say the same thing about um, what we find that's happening in the tech industry. You know, everybody's running around looking for developers and they just think they're going to fall from trees. Like who's who's cultivating these developers to fill these jobs. It's like, who's cultivating these entrepreneurs to get into these programs, to then get access to investment. 
Um, the the analogy is similar to um, if you look at uh, Major League Baseball, right? Major League Baseball is a farm league, right? And Major League Baseball sends scouts to the Dominican Republic. They've gone to the Dominican Republic and built whole ecosystems to identify raw talent to kind of bring all the way through the system, right? But here, when it comes to tech and entrepreneurship and all this other stuff, they're just waiting for these entrepreneurs to just magically appear out of thin air. And they'll say, oh, well, there's not enough diverse entrepreneurs and there's not enough diverse technologists and we'll just wait around for them to appear or we'll just kind of swap them amongst the existing companies when you look at the tech's perspective, right? You'll see a person of color appear like 10, like they worked at Google, they worked at Apple, they worked at Microsoft, and they just keep swapping around with each other instead of saying, hey, why don't we try to figure out what we can do to create even more diversity amongst those diverse resources and those diverse candidates. So, I rambled. No, 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 absolutely <laughs> not. I think you touched on a couple of points, which uh, we will try to get back to as we're trying to keep this video yes. about 20 minutes. And since we have about uh, seven odd minutes, uh, so a few things. Yeah, let's let's talk about that petri dish that you. Yeah, my petri dish analogy. Yeah. Okay. So the uh, fund the ecosystems, uh, ecosystem catalysts. Mm. So you have N three here, um, and it's as as platform a space where it's an ecosystem mm. that you're creating for entrepreneur and specifically te technologists. One from future uh, written in code, mm -hmm. which is training the technologists and and possibly the, to be more scale uh, a scale technologist, mm -hmm. and then you have the innovation lab building up startups mm -hmm. and entrepreneurs. So talk a little bit more about where the synergies between the funders and in three and how they can find you or find ecosystems like you, because obviously it's too. They're mm. both in different places. Mm. How do you think? Give us a few, a couple of solutions mm. on how they can find each other. So to me, it's it kind of comes out of also just the listening to how people see ecosystems from going to a couple of these panels at um, at South by and trying to figure out like, how do we reposition what we're doing in a way that they recognize the value, right? So. So, for example, one of the things was that when I first started IN3, this whole concept around social impact I really, really troubled me. Right? I didn't want to look at this as a social impact thing. But if you step back and you say from, from, from a funding perspective, if we can define what we do clearly so that it fits in the box of what people see as social impact investing, then we can get money in the front door from a social impact perspective to help kind of fund the catalyst of the ecosystem, right? So that's the money coming in to fund the, the building of the Petri dish and put all that stuff you need to put in to kind of make the stuff grow. Mm -hmm. And then on the back end, that's where you want the angel investors, the seed capitalists to kind of come in and support the businesses that come out. Mm -hmm. So you really need kind of this dual pronged strategy of how do I build the relationships with the traditional funders that give money for social impact things to help them understand that by funding diverse entrepreneurs, you really are funding, it is a social impact play. And then once they get through that gate, being able to help the folks that are doing the seed and the angel investing to realize, hey, I don't need you to fund IN3, I need you to fund the products, the byproduct of IN3, which are the entrepreneurs that come out. And it's a lot of it, it's, it's I'm learning it's about clearly 
understanding who I'm pitching to to try to get money and making sure that that message is defined properly for the audience. Mm -hmm. Because if you try to pitch it and both people are in the room, there's going to be this kind of weirdness. They're not going to under, well, which one is it? You know, what are you trying to do? Is this a social impact play? Is this like entrepreneurs? Like what is it? So we need to make sure we're very clear with how we articulate that. So you talked about um, the, the the problem of money, access to, mm -hmm. to funds. Um, both. So I, when you started, you talked about the in uh, the VR and and mm -hmm. augmented reality as well, virtual and augmented reality. The costs attached to get it. So the underrepresented communities, especially uh, the black community, and evidently the investors said, when more people like you uh, are, have money, can then become investors and so on and so forth. How do you think you could, this can be reconciled? Because again, that means I know you talk a lot about the esports, mm -hmm. uh, how we're not engaged, mm -hmm. we're just consumers, uh, and now we're seeing it with VR and AR. Mm -hmm. So how do you think these things can be reconciled? And because you are a tech company, you have a tech background, mm. and you're creating an ecosystem where for tech entrepreneurship and tech enable the businesses, where do you see the reconciliation here? And how can, if let's say uh, an investor uh, hears this, how can they tap into you and say, hey, uh, look, Aaron, I need a solution. And I'm, if you have a good solution, I'm willing to fund you. I think that the, this, I mean, I think the solution at the end, of, it can't be, I'm just going to fund you, Aaron. I think it needs to be that, what's going on? It's still recording. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. can you hear? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I think the solution is that you're not, once again, you know, if, if we look at what we're doing here as a catalyst, it's like you need to, we, we need to make a lot of bets, right? I, I think that you need to feed that funnel to get these entrepreneurs and these, and these companies to the point where they can get to the exit, right? Because if they don't get to the exit, they can't raise the money. And if they can't, let's, we gotta stop? In a, in a bit because uh, it's, oh. yeah. Um, so let's do one last uh, question quickly is uh, Blue Cross Labs. And you talked about mm. the uh, innovation lab that you, you're, mm. you just launched it, you're recruiting mm. about 10 entrepreneurs and so on. One of the, the uh, entrepreneurs challenge many businesses mm. face is workforce. Workforce development, workforce mm. professionalism and, and so on. Does your innovation lab tackle, and what does it tackle in terms within the two weeks time, what is the top main things that you'll be training these entrepreneurs for this innovation lab? So I'm just to keep it short and simple. Imagine all of the normal things you learn in a regular business workshop, business lab, you, you do your um, either your business plan, your business model canvas, you learn about um, identifying your customers, about sales, about legally setting up your company. Those are the basic things. But my, because I'm trying to tighten up how I, how I explain it, is so what I say now is that we're tech enabling this business workshop series, right? And so by tech enabling it, what that means is that after we get to the early stage of the entrepreneur, we immediately start to apply technology to how you gather requirements around your problem. You know, what kind of technology solutions exist? 
um, how can we quickly take some off-the-shelf solutions to kind of string together a minimum viable product so that you have something of substance to kind of put together uh, when you try to present to an angel or an investor to try to get some traction around the work that you're doing. Wonderful. So we will do a part two of this. Uh, and Saunders, so That's what do you say to your followers? Thank you for listening, watching, and um, stay tuned for next time. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you.